What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Groomer podcast. I'm here with none other than Chrissy Newmeyer-Smith. Chrissy is a master grooming behavior specialist, a certified professional groomer, and about 15 other certifications that I don't have the time nor you have the ear space to listen to. But she is an amazingly certified groomer. Uh, she's an instructor at Holpec Grooming Academy. She's got an online program, and she even runs a podcast herself called Creating Great Grooming Dogs. Uh, Chrissy, thank you so, so much for joining us here. I've heard nothing but amazing things about you, about the stuff you teach, about your podcast. Um, so I'm, I'm honored to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I love getting on other people's shows and getting to know people. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, amazing. Amazing. So what I want to do is, is why don't we just start with who you are, you know, you can intro yourself better than I can. So maybe give us a little bit of intro on who you are, you know, what you're working on nowadays and where you're at in the world. Sure. Yeah. So um, I am sort of in that space where I'm a groomer and a trainer, and I've been doing those two professions at the same time my whole career. And that's really my specialty. That's where I'm trying to help groomers learn more about the behavior side and trying to help trainers learn more about the grooming side because non-groomers don't really know what we do. <laughs> Non-trainers don't know what we do. So bridging that gap. But that's why I have so many of those little letters after my name and stuff is that that's, that's my specialty. That's really what I go with. Um, I do run a house call business and I've been grooming. I started working with animals in 86 and I've been a groomer. I finished a grooming apprenticeship in 92. So it's been a while. So did you did you start as grooming and then you moved over to add the training element or was it the other way around? They have always been at the same time. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. That's ambitious. It, it, I've I've really kind of done them all at the same time all along. I was lucky enough to start off at an agricultural high school for animal science. Okay. And my first summer internship for the school was at a boarding kennel where I was working as a kennel tech. I was learning how to bathe dogs, doing some light brusher bather stuff and nail trims. But on my lunch break, I was watching the groomers. And then after work, I would stay and do the training classes and ride my bike home. <laughs> I mean, your days are busy then, huh? I loved it. Never could pick okay. just one. So you went to an agriculture high school, and that's that's I when did. I would imagine you started that apprenticeship at the grooming um, salon, and you were doing the training mm -hmm. after school. What what happened next? Did you work at that salon for a, you know a set amount of time? Did you go off and start educating right away? You know, kind of bridge the gap here for us. Sure. So that that kennel that I was working at, where it was grooming and training and stuff, um, for the school you had to have a full time job. That was part of the animal science curriculum. So we had to have a full-time job from April through September. That was my full-time job from April through September when I was 14, <laughs> turning 15, right? Um, <laughs> and I got this chance to work with, um, with some really great trainers and some really great groomers and um, got to do both. Um, and then back into school again for you know my, my sophomore year in high school and different years you did different jobs. Um, Ideally, you wanted to graduate from your animal science program with a little bit more variety than just one field. So I also worked on a dairy farm. I worked with some dairy goats, but it was always the dogs for me, always. Okay, so it's always been dogs. 
I mean, at yeah. some point you had to wake up and go, I want a lot of those three letter certifications after my name. Let me get going. <laughs> so how, how did how yeah. did we, you know, take me through your training? And I know you did the apprenticeship, but post mm -hmm. the apprenticeship, how did you do that continual learning? What made you want to start getting some of those certifications, et cetera? Um, so I, I think it was because I was working around a lot of adults when I was in high school, those adults who were like, we just went to a conference and we learned something new. And I was really inspired by some of the people I got a chance to work with. I was very fortunate that I had some really interesting adults to work with who were like, we went to a conference. And um, so in the early 90s, that was about the time the Association of Professional Dog Trainers had started up. Um, and they were starting to have conferences. And you know, and then you start finding out like, oh, wait, what if there's a certification on this or this? Now there have been dog grooming certifications all along, but most of the time um, dog grooming certifications were requiring you to do testing on dogs that were show quality dogs in a show kind of trim. And that mm -hmm. was not within reach for me, not because of my skills, but because of the dogs around me. I mean, if you wanted Got a show it. collie, I could do a show collie, you know, but that's not, <laughs> that's not really what they're looking for, you know? Um, right. So, um, but I've always been really interested in continuing ed. I love okay. continuing ed. I take lots and lots of classes. And that makes sense. I mean, given where you're at now. Um, so it seems like your whole career has been kind of, uh, you know, on a pedestal with all of these, you know, continuing education classes, certifications, et cetera. What made you change or not change, but what made you put on that, that next hat from, all right, I'm a groomer and a trainer to I actually want to start educating myself. Um, that was a tricky one. And I think it really came about when, um, when I just felt that I was ready to fill in a gap that I was seeing, which is that a lot of groomers don't understand training and a lot of trainers don't understand grooming. And I have a unique perspective, not the only one out there who has the unique perspective, but, but because I, I'm solidly doing both as a professional, like, hey, my dog barks when people come to the door and hey, my dog is matted. I do both that I decided I really wanted to be in that space and give people a chance to learn from someone who understands what their day-to-day -day job is. Amazing, amazing. So let's dive into that then. You know, you said your unique perspective is helping trainers understand grooming and helping groomers understand training. So let's maybe start with, given our audience is mostly groomers, let's mm -hmm. start with groomers understanding training. What, you know, is, was there a key aha moment that, you know, you seeing both sides, that you came to, to to understand that, oh my gosh, this training element is totally missed in the grooming world. I recognized that really, really early. In fact, that's part of why I started my own house call business back in 2000, because I was, I was feeling, uh, I was feeling really kind of sad that I was being asked to complete trims to perfection on dogs that were literally asking us to please stop. And dogs <laughs> become worse when we do that. And that's really common for us as groomers to be like, well, but he's being good and I can still get it done. He's not being so bad that I can't get it finished. And it was devastating for me. Cause I'm like, if you give me a couple of grooming sessions with him, maybe he won't be afraid of it and we can do it for his whole life. So for me, it was very early on that I was like, oh, we need to, someone needs to bridge okay. the gap. And then I decided maybe I'd be brave and start fast and do it. It was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so really it was, it was in personal experience that you realized, hey, I can actually make, you know, not only make a better groom, but make my life in the dog's life that I'm grooming easier and better if we add a training element to it. 
right? Mm -hmm. If we had a training element in the beginning. So talk to me about that. I mean, is this something that, you know, someone would need to hire me to actually train their dog before I start grooming? Or there are little tips and tricks that we as groomers can learn to do when we walk into a house call or when we greet a dog for the first time. I mean, walk, walk me through that a little bit. So um, some of the key fundamental things that I try to tell groomers, um, and I do this on my podcast a lot, but, but some of the things I tell groomers is I want you to think about the safety issue with our behavior problems. That's the key point to think about when we're talking to our owners. Not that he's more difficult or going to take longer, but that what is happening is unsafe. And when groomers start thinking like, oh, wait a minute, right? Because he's more likely to get nicked if he's jumping around. Um, he's more likely to twist a knee or to you know, have something happen, or I'm more likely to get hurt. We lose money if, if, that's, if that's what <laughs> makes people think that's about it. That's what you care about, We right? lose money if a dog gets hurt, right? Right, all right. And so, so if we start thinking end... about the safety aspect, for a lot of groomers, that's kind of the switch. Like, oh, right. I don't, what if I get hurt and I'm out of work for a week? Right. You know? Right. No, I mean, that that's great. I mean, especially as you put it, like, all right, if you even don't care about the safety aspect. Money. You know, you could lose money <laughs> if you're not doing this right. <laughs> that's Absolutely. What, that's like that. Yeah. And so, you know, with that, I mean, what, what are some, what are some noticeable areas that groomers could pick up training? Um, tomorrow and, you know, start noticing a, you know, a very noticeable difference in the dogs that they are grooming. So if you are a groomer and you're like, what training with grooming and you're just listening right now, the first thing I want you to think about is our ideal goal. What we want our dog to behave like is we want a dog who is calm, comfortable, and cooperative. And at every step, we need to be thinking about, am I planting the seeds for future grooms to be calm, comfortable, and cooperative? Like, what am I doing today? Am I overwhelming this dog right now? Because um, there are a lot of alarming videos out there with groomers who are lovely. They are so nice and they're caring and they're patient, but they're also traumatizing that dog. You also, know, can I you push give them us an too far. Yeah. Like a dog that's like screaming and someone's like, it's okay, baby, you're all right. But they're still drying that dog while it screams for its life, you know? Aww. And you're like, I know how kind you are. I've been there and I've done that. But are we planting the seeds for future groomings to be calm, and, comfortable, and cooperative in that moment? And what you mean by that is, you know, you might get the job done right now in disappointment. Mm -hmm. But if every time you turn on that dryer, that dog starts screaming and you push through in those first few appointments, it's going to, um, let's call it, assimilate that dryer with screaming and pain and for future appointments start to not be that cool, calm, collected dog that we want. Okay, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, and sometimes we're actively teaching them to hate it, but we don't think about that because groomers recognize behavior and we see it, but we're not really well trained in understanding why the behavior happened or how to change it. And that's where I try to come in. Yeah, um, so we might notice that a dog is panting and shaking and trembling but not necessarily be really good at reading like this dog is afraid of being on a table. We might think it's just nail trimming um, as an example, because that's what we're trying to get done. A lot of the mm -hmm. time groomers are like, oh, this dog isn't good for nail trimming. I'm like, this dog isn't good with strangers walking next to him. You're a stranger trying uh, to do nail trims. Like sometimes the being able to pull so back and look at the bigger picture. I like that. So it's going back to a first principles perspective where it's like, okay, we might, we might assume that this dog doesn't like nail trimming, 
but it's really he doesn't like to get on a table or it's really he's very scared of vans like stuff like that that we need to back up so mm -hmm. let's assume i was able to recognize that let's assume maybe i run a mobile grooming business and i had a dog on my table that just despises you know what i think despises nail trimming i listen to your podcast or listen to this podcast and you tell me hey maybe it's not actually the trimmer maybe it's the table or the van or he's not comfortable with you what you know what are my next steps to actually bring that dog back let's call it so really the first step is talking with our owners and explaining that if your dog is worried or anxious or even overly silly or aggressive that we're going to slow down and lose focus on if the nail trimming is completed we're going to work on the trimming process and helping that dog be calm sometimes you, a dog is going to need somebody to just hold their feet and teach them that that part is safe and then nail trimming is like oh well, holding my foot was safe okay like we have dogs that get nervous when their owners touch the dog's shoulder what would we guess about that dog in a grooming setting that he doesn't he doesn't like you to touch his shoulder that he won't want right you know, you to Do we trim. suspect that that dog would be like he's going to be fine for the dog groomer for nails like that the owner <laughs> has trouble with those things and right. i think that um a lot of groomers don't know the kind of problems that trainers see in people's homes so we think we have a grooming problem and sometimes we have a general problem that of course is gonna show up in grooming. If that dog loses his mind, if a dog is 30 feet away and we have him in yeah. a room with dogs, you know, even though they're not playing that other dog on a table, we can make some assumptions like, oh, wait a minute. Is this because there's a dog in sight? Right. You know, and how can no, I, mean, I help with that? That's phenomenal. That That is phenomenal advice. And I mean, it's, it's something that is so, you know, it's called, you put it on paper and it's so easy to understand, but it, I feel like it's something that's so often missed. I mean, how, how do you recommend, I feel like, you know, a lot of times, especially with grooming and maybe with regular clients, you just kind of get into a flow, you get into a routine, you stop questioning, you know, maybe why does this dog always freak out every time there's other dogs around or why does he, you know, really get scared every time I touch his shoulders or his feet? Um, how do you recommend, you know, people with current, dogs that may have some, you know, hesitancies around grooming still, you know, find what, you know, what and why, you know, kind of thinking about it from that training perspective. So there are a couple of things is, is for us as groomers to kind of step back and look at the bigger picture. You know, maybe you don't know that this dog has issues with other dogs. You just think he's a hot mess. <laughs> Tech talk, hot mess. Um, but, yeah. but really it's because every single time he's been in there, he's been overwhelmed by other dogs in the room. Right. Maybe it's because like uh, running a vacuum cleaner at home makes him go and hide. And we've been running the high velocity dryer all day, whether it's on him or not. You know, so sometimes just stepping back and analyzing like really what's happening across the board. But if we think mm -hmm. about solution sets, that's when we kind of need to say like, all right, well, he is scared and pushing somebody who's scared rarely helps. Doesn't help with us. You know, um, right. as an example, I give lots of human examples because I think they help people. I know a couple of adults who are terribly embarrassed by how scared they are of needles. Right. Like they're, they're embarrassed right. by it. They literally want to change that. And yet they have this fear of needles. You know, like they right. get blood drawn yeah. and they freak out, you know. Right. Yet we, we're, we're kind of thinking that dogs are doing it on purpose. Like they're trying right. to make our day hard. The dog is having a hard time, not giving us a hard time. The right. dog is having- It's never the dog's fault. Well, the dog is having difficulty. And even dogs yeah. that are overtly forward and aggressive, it's because they feel threatened. 
if they feel comfortable, they usually do not behave that way. So, you know, on that note, do you recommend talking to, you know, the parents and asking very specific questions um, before you see a dog about, you know, triggers that from home life that may happen while, during the grooming cycle? Or how do you how do you recommend finding, I guess, you know, that, that those home life triggers that you would never know about um, unless you saw the dog freak out about X, Y, and Z? Um, so there are four questions that I teach everybody. So like, just sit back, write it down. But four questions that I think are really important for us to help with our owners. And it helps our owners understand why we might have difficulty with their dog. The first question is, what does your dog do if they don't like something? What does he do? Um, I want to hear like what the owner thinks their dog would do. Is it the dog that runs and hides? Is it the dog that growls and snaps? Is it the dog that curls up into a ball? What does he do? And then question number two is what does he do if he doesn't like something you're doing to him? Is it the same kind of responses or is this the dog that like, oh, well, he only puts teeth on us, but he would never bite, you know, like we need to know that, right? So that's where we get them to tell the story. And it's before a problem has even happened. We're getting them okay. to tell us the story and give us some I real mean, details amazing. that we can use. It'll make them think about too, some things that they would have never put down in a form that's just like, oh, yeah. hey, is there anything you want us to know? No, you know, he's some great. of that stuff they yes. would never think about, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're yeah. like, oh, we love him. Yeah. You know, he's he's been so fun recently. Oh, he's great. Okay, he's so great. You, you said there's four questions. You went through two. Yeah. The first one, um, you know, let me reflect here. The first one was, what does he do when he's scared? Yeah. The second one was, do what does like he do? Something. Yeah. Right, right. The second one was, what does he do if I do something to him as the owner and he doesn't mm -hmm. like it? Yeah. What's three and four? Third question that I ask owners is, what does he do if you don't stop? Yeah, I see your face. And that's what owners do too. They're like, oh, many of owners are like, well, of course I stop. He put teeth on me. You know, and I'm like, but but you're asking us to not stop. Right, right. Exactly. So you're asking that's us to question number four. Yeah. So that's question number four is, what do you think he will do when I, a stranger, do not stop? And for a lot wow. of owners, that's where they make the connections like, oh, you're talking about safety for my dog and you're talking about safety for yourself and that we have a training problem here. I love that. I love that. Okay. So let's, let's keep walking through this. Let's assume <laughs> that, you know, I've, I've brought my dog to you and we have, you and I have identified a training problem. Mm -hmm. Do you still take that dog in for a groom or, you know, what happens? What happens next? Let's assume, let's give this real life example. Let's assume I'm bringing you, um, you know, a one or two year old dog, been groomed before, um, we just moved. And so, you know, maybe you've never seen him, but he's been groomed before. Let's assume it's a, you know, border collie, something like that, right? And, um, you know, I, I tell you that she really gets scared of strangers, like really scared of strangers. And we've identified mm -hmm. that that is, you know, some sort of problem here in terms of training. Do you still take my, my dog, my precious little dog in or, do you turn it back to the owner and give them homework before you're allowed to groom or what happens with, you know, identifying this? It's really going to vary by dog. And I think that that's okay. part of what dog trainers understand and groomers find frustrating. Behavior geeks think it's awesome. We're like, ooh, let's get into the minutiae and details on this particular individual. And groomers are like, tell me what to do. You know, dog growls. Okay, turn to page 86, read this paragraph. That's what you do. Okay. You know, like they want something really easy. And and it's not always that yeah. easy. Yeah. But right. what I do is I talk to owners about, well, your dog doesn't sound like they're well prepared for our services today. Okay. 
you know, like let's and, and help you your dog them... feel better about it. But if a dog is really afraid of strangers in that example, it might be let's set up a couple of times where we just bring him in for like 15 minutes, meet and treat, get to see everything and then go home and not okay. try a full groom. We do a lot of modified okay. grooms, you know, telling owners like, listen, I can't do your doodle the way that you want them to be done today because your dog literally has no idea what this whole process is. It's not really fair to him. It's going to terrify him. And he's going to need a significant amount of grooming for his whole life. Um, and sometimes I talk to owners about your dog is going to, if we assume that your dog's going to live to be 15 and, you know, like that's a lot of grooming to be terrified of. Like let's spend right. time now so that that dog can feel comfortable with this for their whole life. I mean, what a great perspective too. I mean, especially like, Hey, you know, we're going to, we, we recommend every four to six weeks. That's let's put, you know, 10 or 11 yeah. times a year. Your dog mm -hmm. is three or it's, he's going to live till he's 15. I mean, that's 12 years. It's about 120 grooms that yeah. you know, Fluffy is yep. going to have to go through being terrified of the nail trimmer. So let's, you know, save, save some time up front here and do three modified grooms so that he can get to know us. We can get comfortable, et cetera. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, and I feel like that's, that's a solution. That's a solution that I feel like a lot of people don't think about is doing modified grooms. And it's, a, and it's wording it as service to our customer right? We're putting the customer focus, like this is for you and your dog and your dog's future. And this is about safety, your dog's safety. If he jumps around and bites my shear and ends up with a tongue that's hanging off and like, you know, like that's a vet bill. That's a dog who's going to be terrified of grooming for a long time. And hopefully we can, you know, get you to take it seriously and we can get them back from that, you know, but, um, but that's also like terribly unsafe. You know, like your dog could be injured. And I cannot tell you, non-groomers have no idea. They're like, well, how would you injure my dog? Uh, we use sharp tools. We use sharp yeah, we use tools. Sharp like, tools why would you use sharp fluffy tools next to my still. dog's eye? I'm like, because that's what cuts hair, you know? Um, so if we spell it out for them, like, listen, we use sharp tools. Um, this is, and actually I have... Um, a safety policy. It's actually posted on my on my um, website. So if anybody wants to go in there in the blog section, there's I have a safety policy. Go ahead, use it. It's not a contract. It's just telling owners how I do business. If your dog is terrified, I need to help them through it, and I'm going to charge you for my time. And we'll link to that in the uh, in the show notes here, and we'll link to that in the blog post that we spin out of these. Um, I'm curious. Can you give us a uh, you know high level what's in that safety policy, Chrissy? Um, it's really just a quick blurb about, you know, like we are working with live animals. We're working with sharp tools. We're trying to keep your dog safe. Um, if your dog is, is really worried about something, we're going to calm them down, slow down, try to help them through it. We may not finish that trim today. It may not look perfect. We'll charge you for our time that we spend working on your pet, but it gives a lot of discussion points because owners are like, wait, what do you mean? You won't look perfect. Your dog is literally fighting for us to stop. You know, like he's fighting it, for his life. Right. You know, um, if let's, he let's if he's terrified, you know, um, and I think that when we talk to owners about it that way, then they they can choose to not do business with us, right? That's okay, well, though. Yeah. I want you to think about this. If I bring my car to the mechanic, I don't get to pick what part of the brake job I think I want. There's a safety issue there. 
You know, if I'm like, oh, no, the brake lines, I'll just duct tape those later. Those are fine. I just want the brake pads so it doesn't squeal. And they're like, your pads, your rotors, and your lines need to be replaced if you want to continue doing business with us today. Right? They can't open that up and start doing it and not do a safe brake job. And so for some of our that. owners, that helps them understand like, oh, oh, this is about safety. Like, this is about you and your dog getting the best service I can offer you. Right. No, I love that. It seems like the key communication point there is we need to be better at, at educating owners that, hey, this is a training thing as well. This is not just poop, you know, poof, your dog's here. We make him perfect. He's out. Like this is a educational and training process that you need to be okay going through. And if you're not totally get it, you know, our services are not for your dog then today. Um, you know, I'm curious to, to kind of close the loop here. What are, what's, what's a practical, you know, maybe either checklist or plan of attack for the first time a groomer sees a new dog, you know, maybe they've, they've just, they've, they own a salon and a, and an owner has come in with a new pup or they've got a house call for the first time and they're meeting that new pup. You know, do you have a, a set, you know, like I said, agenda or checklist? I know you have those four questions of things to ensure that this client is right for us and that these owners understand, you know, what we want to do. Um, so in my own business, which is very small and house call, I don't have a whole ton of people, but, um, but I don't want to take on anybody who isn't comfortable with my safety policy. If they're like, oh, he has to look perfect. I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like, I want him to look perfect, but I don't think you're understanding why we need to work on him being comfortable with that. Um, but when we talk to our owners about it, sometimes they need some examples. And as hard as it is, I refer them to the example of the dog that died at, during a nail trim wearing a muzzle. Because owners are like, he won't bite you. What is the big deal? <laughs> He makes tapping sounds on my wood floor. He won't bite you. What's the big deal? And and you have to tell them like, but if he is so stressed out that his eyes are bugging out and he's panting and he's stressed and, you know, I, I could injure him that way. You know, what if he starts flailing around on that grooming loop and breaks his neck? What? There are so many things that could go wrong that they're not aware of, um, that it's more than a haircut. It's more than a haircut. We're not just selling haircuts. And when I get my haircut, my hairdresser does not need to keep slamming me back into the seat. <laughs> it would become That's fun. That's just the difference. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like if, right. if if humans fight back during haircuts, people are like, hands off, bye-bye, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Right. But we do need to word it in a way that helps owners understand, like, I want to help you with your dog's training issue. And it may be a matter of sending them to their vet to make sure everything is okay. You know, sometimes dogs have soreness that we're unaware of. Like, okay, I, he was really weird around his head. Please let the vet know this is what I observed when I was near his head. Could be teeth, could be ears, could be eyes. I don't know. I'm not the vet off you go, please go check this out. Right. It could be that we send them to a trainer, you know, like, listen, your dog is really like, if your dog can't handle you sitting on the couch next to them without becoming aggressive, you have no business bringing your dog to a dog groomer yet. That's a danger for everybody, for your dog and for the people, you know, as a pet owner, we also have to sometimes take responsibility that it's my job as a pet owner to make sure my dog does not hurt people and groomers are people. <laughs> <laughs> right, vets right. are people <laughs> right so um 
I don't know if that answered your question the way you wanted it to, but that's the that's no, the no, story no, of my life. My questions, <laughs> the answers never no, line no, up. No. People want something quick. <laughs> oh my gosh, no! I mean, I I love the way you ran with all of those. I think you know you just gave a whole boatload of practical tips at the intersection of training and grooming. I mean, my biggest takeaways there were, you know, we've always been told and taught that it's never the dog's fault. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen it framed by, by anyone. And you just did so perfectly that a lot of times it's just the training. That's a little bit different. Let's call it right. It's, it's something that, you know, can we rethink this in terms of maybe he's afraid of the nail trippers. Maybe he's just afraid of the bed or, or, you know, the table, right. Um, you know, maybe let's talk about how the owners, you know, treat him when he's on the couch and stuff like that right it's more of a training thing and if we can educate the owners not only about um, the safety of the groom and and what they should be doing to make sure they're you know getting their dog back here so there's not mats and stuff like that but it's that second piece of education around hey we need to be better collectively at you know at this element with with fluffy here we need to be better at training him about x y and z a little bit different so he can have a happy life we can we can groom him you know keep him cool, calm and collected and that you guys can have a happy life with him as well. So he doesn't live his 15 years scared to heck every time he has to go to the dog room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because if you think about it, what happens next, the dog is now 15. Um, they're frail, right? They're elderly. And the owner is going to hear something like, I'm sorry, he's, he's always been bad. It's just getting worse. I think it's time for him to go to the vet to be sedated for grooming. Yet at that age, owners are really struggling with, should I get him sedated even just to remove a mole, right? right? Like that's a fragile dog that cannot, I meet a lot of dogs at that stage because I'm like, I'm willing to work with your dog. And then I work with them and they do a lot better and maybe they live another three years. You know, right. maybe that's a dog that's 18 and if he gets excited, he'll have a seizure, you know? And I mean, right. it happens, but for right. us to be thinking about, I want to help you solve your problem. I think a lot of our owners are really stressed out because they're hearing good owners get their dog's nails trimmed and I'm just trying to get the nail trim and now they're telling me they can't do it, right? Without telling them why and that we're trying to help them solve their problem or guide them to a professional who can help them solve their problem with us collectively, then 100%. that's a different message. I think a lot of our owners are really frustrated well, I, he needs to look perfect. Why can't I buy my haircut? But yeah. it's not like a 100%. box of something. It's more yeah. than just a haircut is what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, if you can ship a haircut to me, then we can just price it as a product. But you can't, <laughs> right? And um, and a lot of groomers accidentally have kind of trained our owners to believe that it's just more difficult. And that's part of why even when we talk about pricing, like we need to make sure that we are charging them for our time. And there are lots of ways to do that. But if we call it a handling fee, I cannot tell you how many owners are frustrated because they're like, I didn't know he was bad. I didn't know it was something they weren't going to be able to do. I just paid this extra handling fee thinking it was just because he takes longer. You know, we're actually yeah. training them to just not care. They're like, oh, that's how much I pay. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You just add that on and they're like, okay. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I have a box of haircut and this jar of bad dog. And that's how I'm going to pay. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> without really understanding that we need to be making progress and that there are ways to make progress. And maybe you as a groomer don't want to do dog training. That's fine. But to know that there are ways to do it and to help find a professional that they can go to or talk to, you know. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's more than just grooming. 
that's I think what it comes down to. It's more than just a haircut is really at the end of the day what it comes down to. So, I mean, Chrissy, you have shared, like I said, so much knowledge, so much insight here. Uh, we'd love to have you back on. I think this intersection of grooming and training is extremely unique and very, very uh, practical in terms of it solves, you know, if we were to look at everything um, as a problem that maybe doesn't go according to our own preset plan, this training, you know, we can view it as a solution, as an outlet to, uh, you know, make us feel better, make the dog feel better, um, and maybe some of those more difficult grooms. So again, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity. Where can people find you? Um, are you on TikTok, Facebook, all that sort of stuff? Shout out your podcast. Um, you know, big shout out time for you. All right. All right. So creatinggreatgroomingdogs.com um, is my website, which has my my episodes, my my audio episodes, my video episodes, the blog that has the, the safety policy in there, some other stuff in there too. Um, but you can find my podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if there's one that doesn't have it, oh, let me know. I will add it. Um, and you can find it on YouTube. You can find Creating Great Grooming Dogs on uh, Facebook. And there's a Facebook page and a Facebook group. And I teach at Whole Pet Grooming Academy. And I teach the Master Groomer Behavior Specialist Program. And um, I do some of the Barkley shows. So I get to be a speaker sometimes, like this weekend at New England. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So it seems like people can find Chrissy everywhere. Um, again, Chrissy, thank you so much. Thank uh, you for having me. It. Yeah. And that's the podcast. We'll see you guys next time.